couple of years ago, I bought tickets for something I thought would be quite fun. Well, it turned out to be the best fun I'd had all year. It was Little Welly, a three kilometre obstacle course through mud and water, which tested and rewarded my children and me in a way that none of us had anticipated. And so I'm really excited that this episode of The Parenthood is sponsored by The Little Welly, one of my favourite family days out of the year. This unique family festival hosts the UK's largest obstacle course for children, full of muddy challenges in the great outdoors. The Little Welly lands in Kent in May and in Henley-on-Thames and Cheshire in June. So visit littlewelly.co.uk to find out more. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. I'm Marina Fogel, and today we're talking about what mothers need during pregnancy until their children are two. From teaching antenatal classes and being a mother myself, I'm struck how as soon as women see that positive pregnancy test, it becomes all about their baby. This gets worse once the baby is born. Parents devote all their energy to this little bundle, often at a cost to themselves. Because what parents forget, you see, is that our babies rely 100% on us, their parents, not only to care for them, but to teach them to smile, to laugh, to react, and, and to process emotions. And if the parents are run down, exhausted, depressed, unhappy, unfulfilled, the person who will suffer the most as a consequence will be the baby. Which is why this podcast is devoted to understanding what mothers need from conception through to the age of when their babies are about two. I'm joined today by Dr. Kiara Hunt, my co-founder of The Parenthood and Sister, um, and also Dr. Catherine Hollins, a family psychiatrist and psychotherapist who specialized in, specializes in children, parents and families. She fiercely believes in the importance of strengthening relationships between children and their parents from the moment of conception, and that this gives us a unique opportunity to address emotional distress, trauma, social difficulties, and, and mental health problems that may get in the way of the all-important health and happiness that really are at the core of a contented life. Catherine, Chiara, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad we're talking about pregnancy like this, because... It can be tough and people don't realize that pregnancy is tough. What, what do you find? I mean, obviously, as a, as, a, as a medical professional, what would you say is most important for a woman to have while she's pregnant? I mean, obviously, apart from sort of good, good general health, mm, yes. uh, but maybe alongside that, what, what's, what's important? I think being accompanied by people that she loves and love her. We can mother in so many ways now and people become mothers in, in lots of different situations. Um, but there's something about being able to share the experience, to share the joys and the delights of it and the worries with people close to us. That's a really important part of, of making pregnancy something that, that goes well for us. And obviously a lot of, well, many women nowadays are potentially doing it on their own, but it doesn't need to be your partner. I mean, it's surrounding yourself presumably with a group of people that are in a position to empathise empathize and understand yes. and, and support you emotionally. Yes. yes, absolutely. And in a way, maybe that's part of what we can do when we're pregnant. Partly it's, it's prepared for when we're going to be mothers to begin to think what, what would make this more fun? What would make this um, a journey that I can share? And there's that lovely phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, taking that seriously, that, that for your own mental health and emotional health, as well as your physical health, it's, it's really good to have people with you. And actually, it's not necessarily 
the most healthy relationship to be just mother and baby alone yes. for that relationship, although it's obviously yes. really a strong one. And because socially it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Being pregnant and then parenting mm. um, in the last 100, 200 years, it used to be a much more social uh, journey. Yes. You, know, you would do that within the um, social context of lots of family close by, mm. lots of caregivers for the baby, lots of therefore support emotionally for the mother. Yes. And yes. that has changed. And the parenthood is much more isolated now yes. than it ever was, I would say. And in that sense, we have to work a bit harder, don't we, to really put in place a, a community of our own, whatever that means. And we can be very creative about that. There's no, there's no one right way or wrong way of doing it, is there? Yeah, even if you're in a big city like London mm. alone in the sense that you don't have good friends going through mm. the same thing at the same time where maybe your family is all in a different country you can still build a network yes. of social support yes um, and that there's so many ways of doing that aren't there? and that's where actually technology nowadays can be our friend mm. uh, because yeah. contacts can be made I mean going back to pregnancy that first trimester I think is very often the hardest trimester and I think one of the things that's hardest about it is that no one knows you're pregnant and you're feeling wretched and you're feeling exhausted and you're feeling a bit scared because we all know there's quite a high chance of miscarriage Mm. and yet there's this sort of well it's not even an unspoken rule it's a very much a spoken rule that you don't tell people before you've got to your 12-week scan and that's obviously because you know you might be disappointed so and I sort of see put a hold on the celebration but I always slightly encourage women to tell people that I mean not Mm, everyone mm. but tell a close group of friends that Mm. you're pregnant and that you are a bit nervous and you're feeling sick and it's not a hangover yes and that's much more ordinary in some cultures but but you're right we we tend not to share that experience and yet if things go not the way we're hoping how wonderful to be able to share that with someone because they will be able to, you know, share share our grief if we're very upset about it. Um, similarly, if it goes well, we can we can share that journey with them. So I agree with you. There's something, isn't there, about can we? Who could you share it with? Uh, is that something you might want to do? No, it's not for everybody, is it? Yeah. It's also sort of emotionally starting that journey right from the beginning that we don't have to do it all on our own. Yes. If already from the first trimester we can be thinking about what support can I can yes. I get? Mm. What support do I need now? Because that's only going to increase mm. uh, as the pregnancy continues and then as the, once the baby arrives. It's very easy when you're pregnant to do it alone and carry on with your life and work. And, you know, it's not very easy, but people do it and then suddenly you're thrown into parenthood mm. and haven't got that network yes. at all around you. I think it's it's being conscious that being independent and competent may well have suited the life of a busy working environment. Um, and it's very much praised in our society. Being a parent, um, actually, you can be a lot healthier and happier if you share it and say when you need some help or support or just get people involved because it's 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 a more um, fun way of doing it. Um, that, that That's something to practice, though. And I think you're right to start right from the beginning or even before you have children, you know, before you get pregnant, Absolutely. to think about what, what kind of what kind of setup do you want? What environment do you want? Um, and then when you are pregnant to look at, OK, what is you know be courageous have a look so who who is in your network you know do you have a partner do you have a good friend do you have a mother or a father or sisters or brothers who are uh, emotionally or physically able to be involved or live closely enough to you if not um and that's that's the if not is pretty common in a lot of for a lot of us you know that's not uncommon have a think about well, who could you connect with and uh, what's available for other mums, even from pregnancy. And there are more and more things available when you're pregnant now. 
Um, and how could you begin to um, learn what you want to teach your children, which is to ask for support when they need it? I definitely see that in the bump class, these antenatal classes we teach. I mean, we obviously give them a huge amount of information and it's, it's, it's you know, medical professionals giving them the information that in itself is really valuable to them. But what I almost think they benefit from the most is that community to be in a room of women mm. who are experiencing the same thing as you which you know it's not every woman you know who's in their fifth or sixth months of pregnancy and has kind of got the same sore ribs or or, or whatever it is mm. it it is such a reassuring thing to know that mm. you're not on your own and it's so extraordinary to see these friendships flourish even yes. though they may be from kind of different walks of life and mm. you know, they don't have any friends in common and they've just met because they've gone to the same antenatal class and then suddenly I mean we've had girls who've made people that they met on the bump class godparents to their ex-children wow. and that's purely that relationship yes. that is is really intense so mm. It's, there are opportunities, aren't there, to yes. sort of reach out. And mm-hmm. and often you'll find that when you reach out, people are so delighted because they, they would like to make a connection too. Mm. Yeah, I suppose we need to redefine motherhood. I think so many people think of themselves as, as mothers when their baby is born mm. rather than when they're first pregnant. Because mm. actually what we're doing during that pregnancy, we know influences hugely your baby your cherished baby inside you and how you behave and how yes. you are and how your what your emotional state is well that relationship starts as soon as you conceive that baby that yes. that emotional relationship starts then and and we we talked in another podcast about what a baby needs in pregnancy mm. a part mm. of that journey of a, a thousand and one days till they're two yes um and uh, but actually knowing what the mother needs from the baby mm. or from the pregnancy is just as important mm. and are there any sort tips you could give mothers who are pregnant how, how to emotionally bond with their baby before they're even born. yes yes I mean I think one one thing to start with is is being aware of um making space to be pregnant <laughs> make it make space for the baby to grow both physically and emotionally um, be interested in what changes in you so if you become tireder notice it and make a bit of a change don't just battle on but make some space uh, some mums to be like to sit and just feel their tummy once the baby starts moving and speak or sing uh, with the baby. Sometimes that sounds a bit odd to people, but actually it often feels very natural to do. Um, there's something about uh, being interested in imagining what the baby's like. And often people find that the middle trimester is a time for a lot, a lot more imagination and the richness of wondering what this baby's like. Because you're not at the beginning of the pregnancy, which is a natural time to feel uncertain about whether there really is a baby yet until you see the scan. And it's not the end of the pregnancy when you're worrying about childbirth, naturally. But it's that middle bit where perhaps you can give a bit of space to enjoying thinking about what this baby is like. Do you, I mean, nowadays we have the technology um, to find out what we're having, boy mm. or girl. And obviously yes. a generation ago, this wasn't the case. And obviously there are mixed mixed you know emotions around that some people say you know are desperate to to find out so that I can bond and feel closer to that baby and some people say well really until that baby is healthy in my arms I don't want to bond what are your views around around do you think it's a good thing to find out I I think my view is that it depends on each person you know for some people it really helps them to know because they know that being pregnant with a boy or a girl may bring up real worries in them because of their own early experiences of being parented themselves. So I see 
women where that might be an issue. It can go either way, you know, just a feeling of I don't want to have a girl or I don't want to have a boy. And then having the whole pregnancy to talk, to maybe have therapeutic help, to talk to other people, to make sense of it, helps them to be more ready for this baby and to bond with this baby. So I think it really depends on what makes sense for for you yeah I mean I think on the one hand it is nice to have that surprise but then you know when you find out you have that surprise yes. don't you whether yes. that's at 20 weeks or 40 weeks mm. I must say I, I I never found out what I was having um and I think largely because I wanted to protect myself and just think you know mm. I, don't, I don't want to tempt fate which is just ridiculous in 2018 mm. but mm. I must say having experienced a stillbirth and not known the sex of that child I think, you know, whether or not you knew you were having a boy or you find out after you've delivered that child that mm. it's a boy, it doesn't make your grief any worse. I think mm. nothing can make that grief any worse. So mm. I think that's, you know, that sort of tempting fate and, and wanting to distance yourself, I, that, I, that doesn't buy it with me. Yeah, mm. well, yeah, from your experience as well, you, you know that. Yeah. That's probably mm. really interesting for people to hear. I mean, you talk, Catherine, um, uh, about how people's own experiences of being parented mm. may well affect not only their own parenting technique but also their whole emotions around being pregnant and having a child and mm. um, is that something you see a lot of yes yes and and of course it's not surprising I see that because that's why one of the reasons people come to see me but mm. but it can be um uh, you know usually people walk in the room and immediately will start talking about links with their own experiences there's something about pregnancy that moment in the developmental timeline of being a human being that brings up issues from our own family experiences makes sense doesn't it um but we don't always talk about it like that but people bring it to me straight away um so the kind of things might be uh having seen that you know for their mother uh maybe she wasn't very happy being a mother she was at home all the time didn't enjoy it and her life stopped having children and they might they might you know the, the woman in front of me might be terribly frightened the same thing's going to happen to her even though she is a different woman different time might have a career might be planning to go back to the career but still has the emotional burden of worrying that her life is going to stop on the day the baby arrives there might be someone else who knows that in her family you always have terrible births so you think so it's going to happen to me I'm going to have a terrible birth and that becomes the issue to deal with psychologically as well as perhaps pragmatically and practically by talking to obstetricians or midwives but but sometimes it's an emotional issue to be able to talk through and separate out you and your experience and um and what it means for you having this baby rather than simply taking the family the family story as being the only way something can be there are many many reasons people come they come with um you know maybe an experience of mental health problems earlier in life or anorexia eating disorder and a real fear about their body changing mm. um fear about breastfeeding fear about things that are bodily because of what it's felt like being them yeah. maybe experiences of abuse in childhood which are common you know sexual abuse physical abuse and that affecting their experience of the thought of having examinations at labor mm. the thought of being touched you know and the importance of planning and that this is this is all right to plan and talk about it uh, with people who know about these things and also going forward then the effect of that on their own child and whether any yes. of that is going to carry on and carry forward to to their own parenting yes 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 which is often a fear that i see with patients people are terribly frightened and and i find people incredibly courageous in saying i want to 
do something about this because mm. I want to be the best mum I can be, the best dad I can be, mm. and coming in and, and, and talking. Yeah, I had a patient not long ago who who uh, uh, they came as a couple talking about uh, wanting to conceive, and and he was very nervous, and he said, I, I, "I my father was a bad father, and I don't want to be a bad father as well, and I probably will be because my father was," which of course is completely untrue, mm-hmm. but you, you you know it was that inextricable link in his own head um, that yes. had to be talked through. Yes, and of course, you know mm. he. This was a while ago, and he he he's a father now, and a very good mm. one. I think it's interesting the role of fathers actually in pregnancy because you know the woman can feel this baby, she has that contact with the baby, and yet the father, I think sometimes doesn't really believe a baby's in there. I know that sounds ridiculous, but yes, I, I remember I even having my babies and thinking they were right, it was a baby because the idea is just so extraordinary. It's extraordinary, <laughs> and I think that so often, mm. um, you know, fathers sort of think can it be real and then I think a lot of them sort of think well I don't feel this intense love towards this bump because I can't really imagine it as a baby and I think then a lot of fathers think well how am I going to bond and I actually heard someone describe it watching the moment their child was born as it was like going through a software upgrade and you suddenly were a father and you were suddenly (laughs) equipped to be the most protective person and I just thought that was such a lovely way of describing it but Mm. I think it can be hard for fathers Mm. at this point it can be hard for them to emotionally connect with the baby Um, but I think it can sometimes be hard for them to support their partner um, through through the pregnancy I mean would you have any advice for for Mm. fathers in this situation it's, it, I think it's such a good question. There's so much to think about around fathers and the changing roles that, that, that is happening at that moment. You know, up until then, you may well have been a couple doing quite similar things every day. You might have both been going to work. You might have both been, you know, going out or seeing friends or, or climbing mountains together or running <laughs> marathons or something. Whatever, you know. you know, you might, whatever you might be yeah. doing, or you'd have a rhythm anyway. You'd yeah. know what you did. You'd have a, have a life that you recognize. Um, and then you've got the situation where you have maybe for the first time um, your partner, your wife, pregnant, getting tired, uh, not being quite the way they usually are. That, that can be quite scary sometimes for men because they, they, you know, if they're used to the woman managing life well and knowing what to expect and then it all changes, that really throws partners sometimes. Um, and it's something about talking about it actually, you know, with each other in an ordinary way, that, that there's something about you are at a major transition of becoming parents together as well as being a couple, that, that you may well be uh, taking on different roles, you know, being a mother and father are different roles. But I suppose those roles change for the women earlier because exactly. they're the one that's pregnant. Mm. The, for the father, that role usually develops once the baby's born or starts once the baby's born because there's very little they can do otherwise in the I pregnancy. I think that's right. It kind of comes on a few months. It yeah. takes takes time afterwards, doesn't it? Yeah, so I suppose mm. talking about it and then and then actively going on that parenting journey together mm. once the baby's born can, yes. can help. One bit of advice I think I would give is that um, I think fathers often feel they're, they're, they're a bit useless and like they don't know what to do. And if you have a visual picture in your mind of a baby and a mother, and at the beginning there is that work in pregnancy and with a very, very newborn baby, between mum and baby, the feeding, the sleeping, there's a lot often that goes on with mum, that the dad can offer a huge amount by supporting the mum to mother the baby. Now, he's got a role, of course, to father the baby, but at the beginning, at that stage, he can do such an, a huge amount in terms of, of letting the mother feel safe, 
um, make sure there's food around, make sure that, you know, maybe protect how many visitors come. But see that as being not not an insignificant role. And emotionally supportive, being that sounding board for her emotions and her... um, perhaps emotional lability which happens at the time you have a newborn we all know that yes. uh, that even the most stable women can, can become a bit uh, up and down in those first few few weeks and months after the baby's born or during pregnancy or during, and during pregnancy you know, it's a sort of I remember thinking I was like the most boring person in the world because I was feeling sick and I had a headache and I felt exhausted and we didn't go out for months and I was like Mm. all our life is now suddenly devoid of fun and you're going to fall out of love with me and I've got a baby in Mm. my tummy and and, and then coupled with the sort of mounting vulnerability about how your body is changing and and then of course not helped by society's love of telling you horrific birth stories when they see you have a bump. Yes exactly. I think acknowledgement you know certainly as a a woman myself and a sort of having been through motherhood I think one of the most important things my husband did was just acknowledging that you know of course you're vulnerable of mm. course you feel your body's changing I don't find it any less beautiful and mm. just that understanding that it was okay for me to slow down a bit and it was okay for me not to want to go out and do all the things I usually did and like give me permission it was yes. really important that someone mm. who I trusted and loved gave me that permission and that was probably more powerful than Mm. anyone else telling that to me yes yeah that permission setting is so important and that will help your baby of course the fact that you can slow down and recognize that you're tired and a bit stressed that will help your baby in ways that are really important and obviously we talk about labor a lot um you know in in sort of the classes that we do um one of the things that definitely comes across to me is that that emotional support is really important then and so obviously the medical professionals midwives doctors who are surrounding women at the birth Mm. are really really important um what can dads do so again i think it's Mm. another feeling of helplessness which is intensified by the fact that you know their partner is often in quite a lot of pain yes yes um is Mm. there anything that you know fathers could think about at this stage that does really help that they might not come to the conclusion on their own accord I think it links to exactly what we're talking about. It's the emotional support. It's as simple and as difficult as that. How do you find out what what your partner would find helpful from you? Mm-hmm. Um, in what way do they want you to be there? And that partnership mm-hmm. and that you're doing yes. it together and that yeah. give her the belief that she can do it. Yeah. It's also Yeah, important. to really accompany her and be there and take 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 t- take an active role in that way. Yeah. And then, of course, once the baby's born... As a mother, you need so much, don't you, emotionally? Mm. Um, it's a really, it's a, it's a really difficult period for a lot of women, mm. and practically, and practically, of course, you've got a yeah. newborn baby to look after. Mm. Uh, what do you think is the most important thing a woman can do for herself emotionally mm. in those early days of being a new mother? Well, again, it's going to be, I'm going to sound a bit boring now, aren't I? But it's about having people around you. You know, it's about having a safe, secure space to to mother Um, and giving yourself permission because I think it's almost changing the speed a bit. You know, change the speed for a while, for a few weeks, for a few months. Slow down. Uh, Know that being a mother means that you really can be there for your baby and wow it will really make a difference to your baby if you're available in, in other cultures in other societies it is very different i mean have, mm. you, have you got some examples of what well, i know in some societies women are 
they slow down a lot earlier before their babies are even born. Yes, that that's right. Yes. That. And there'll be rituals or, or days of, of, of when you're expected to, to, to be at home. You're not expected to leave the house for a month. You can really be at home and be with your baby whilst other people cook for you. Uh, look after you look after the house um, and and that that matters emotionally as well as practically um, if you're not well fed how can you feed yeah. or how can you look after your baby and his, historically though women were was also confined to the house before the baby was born for yes. quite a period of time yes and yes. that may have been to help prepare them for that yes period exactly of, uh, sort of confinement I suppose, yes and now we kind of don't somehow do don't do that no. and I think um, the way we behave in 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 certainly in Britain is is just going to get up and keep moving um mm. some people go straight back to work you know very very quickly yeah uh, how do we give permission to ourselves and to women in our society to say it's all right you know be at home and we value we value what you're doing yeah. what you're doing is an amazing thing i remember really wanting to be mothered when i became a mother myself mm. and actually it was lovely i went down to stay with my mother um i think my husband was away and so when our baby was like two weeks old i went down and it was so lovely to have a space in which like she she kind of mothered me so she mm. cooked for me and the fridge was full and the washing was done and mm. the house was clean and all yes. i needed to do was look after that baby yeah. and feed yeah. but also it was nice to have that company and i felt yes. that i felt that i had this enormous newfound respect for my mother that she'd done this yes. three times and I was like oh my god I'm nearly on the ground you know with with just this one um but actually mm. it is a nice time to feel mothered and actually yes. if, if you can just make sure that everything is done for new mothers so that all they need to think about is their baby that is the best I mean it is and of course not everyone has a mother who can do that um uh, but again it's about looking and seeing is there any way of doing something that might look a bit out of the ordinary, out of the box, but it might be to go and stay with some friends even. You know, I mean, you know it might be having, some people choose to have, have you know, if they can afford it, a maternity nurse uh, who is motherly. Someone who's motherly, if you choose that route. You want someone who's going to support you in being a mother. Not take the baby away from you, mm. but support you to grow in confidence. Mm. Uh, anyone who can take that role. It might be a neighbour who you invite in every day to come and have a coffee with you because you know that she will love it, but you will also get something from it. Um, that yeah. takes seriously your need to be cared for. Even if it's for. just a conversation. Even a conversation. Be being a new mum. And mom. it can be boring being a new Yeah, mom. and relentless. Yes. And exhausting. Yeah. Very lonely though, very lonely. And how would mm. you, how, is there, other than getting other people involved, is there mm. any other way of making it less lonely and less boring I and mean, i suppose in, interacting with your baby is, is important well, like, yeah so i think that's a good question and one thing of course is to know how much babies are learning yes. you know maybe that can help to know that 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 it what you're doing is growing a little person through the ordinary tasks of the day so that the way you feed the way that you pick your baby up and go and change their nappy, the way that you find uh, methods to help them get to sleep and begin to self-soothe. These are all, they're dealing with the moment, but they're also dealing with their longer term development. Now you can hear that as, oh no, you know, I can mess it up all the time. <laughs> you know, guilt, guilt, guilt. But for this moment, take a deep breath and hear it from me in a different way. Because what I mean is, it can give you real motivation and energy to say, I'm actually building the foundations for this little person's life. You know, doing these ordinary things that on the face of it look really boring and sometimes are really boring and, you know, you do them again and again and again. But each of them changes a little bit the thousandth time you've done it. 
they've learned something new from it. They're learning that you will respond when they have a problem. You're learning that when they're hungry, you'll feed them. When they need a, com- a comfort and a hug, you'll give them a hug. This gives them a sense of trust. They're building an idea of what the world's like. And if you can do that for them, not in some perfect way, but in uh, an ordinary mm-hmm. <laughs> way that is good enough. Uh, we talk about good enough yeah. in, in psychological terms. Absolutely. If you can do it as good enough way, you're building a child who has a sense that the world is basically a good place. And that's that's what you're doing. There are things, you know, there's too much to read, isn't there? There's too much advice. Um, you know, every, every, I was, uh, one of my thoughts about these podcasts is how do we talk without it seeming like advice for people? With, that, with it more as sharing ideas. See if it makes sense to you. Take what connects or clicks with you. Yeah. Um, but there are there are nice things out there. There are there's things like there's a book called A Social Baby, giving you ideas about what babies are already doing. It might make you feel more like, oh wow, you know. Or there are websites like Zero to Three, which is an American website that gives you some ideas of things you might do with your baby at different ages and actually getting out and about with your baby from as early as you feel comfortable is so important isn't it Mm. it can be it can feel terrifying the idea of taking your baby out and going to do something you know when they're really little um but there's very little that can really go wrong because you can always Mm. turn around and come back can't you Um, but going to that music class or going to go to have a coffee with a friend or whatever it is that you're you're taking your baby to it I think is is almost a lifesaver emotionally for mothers Mm, yes yes and the equivalent of like spending the day at a theme park for a child like going down to the post office it's like oh my goodness all these things and sounds and shapes and noises and experiences you know it might be a really boring thing for you but to your baby they're like I yes. had no idea that post office existed. Yes. <laughs> and you can really look at their experience and be interested in what it's like for them. What do they notice? You know, you often, I, you know, mums sometimes say to me, God, I just see the world afresh through my baby's eyes. It's like I'm reliving those amazing moments of going, wow, you know, the sky's blue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think that that aspect of going out, one of the things, of course, is is that can be quite self-preserving is... What did you like doing before that you can do with your baby? You know, if you're someone who likes going for a walk, go for a walk. Take the baby with you. Put on a sling. Go for a walk. Get out. Don't be stopped by by that. You know, think about go, if you like concerts, find a way of going and listening to music with your baby. Um, when you're doing the washing or doing stuff around the house, just take them with you. Even doing the ordinary things, they will perhaps find interesting in ways that you don't imagine. You know, watching the washing yes. machine going round and round. Going to an art gallery or museum, you know, yes. you can do that with a baby yes. much more so than you can with a toddler or yes. a teenager. <laughs> yeah, it's the first baby you'll get to do these things with, and subsequent babies become much harder mm. because you've got the the, yes. the older ones there. But actually, subsequent babies' life is busier anyway, so it's much less lonely. The first baby is is very hard. Do you know? I think that's true. There's something, isn't there? You have with your first baby. There's no speaking, like for a year, 18 months, two years, even longer. It's quiet. And then it's pretty limited. <laughs> and then it's very limited. And it's extraordinary that. And then once you've got a speaking child, you never have that quiet again. And, and <laughs> you might want it, but you never have it again. Oh, you know, my second or third baby was so much easier. 
And I mean, I'm not sure there's such thing as an easy baby or not, but but I think the reason for that is because of a subsequent baby being raised in a household where there are older children has so much more to look at, to mm. listen to, to um, to engage with, and are therefore entertained rather than you having to sit, you know, waving a mm. rattle or pointing out a duck on a picture or whatever it is mm. that you have. You know, you have to be much more engaged with your first baby. Yes, um, because there's just not much else going on. Yes. One of the things I loved actually about um, having a baby was that, you know, I, I, I live in London. London's not a very social city. People are quite closed. And unless you're meeting a friend, you wouldn't talk to a stranger in a public place for no reason. I mean, it's just a very mm. un-British thing to do, mm. especially in a big city. But I think for the first time, you know, I, I was forced to go out. I went to sort of baby massage classes. And for the first time, I'd sit and chat to the mum next door to uh-huh. me. And actually, it's an amazing opportunity to yes. meet new people. Um, and I, that was kind of one of the things I really celebrated and felt that, gave me such joy mm. just opening your eyes to sort of other people around and and you know opening yourself up to relationships yeah. well life slows down doesn't it so you have the opportunity to yes. do that and that's yes. something to be to be relished yes a lot is before you have your baby I think a lot of people talk to you about bonding with your baby and you know people talk about the importance of breastfeeding and bonding and skin to skin and and I remember when I was pregnant being told you know the moment you hold your baby your world will be complete. It will feel like everything is right and you will have this amazing love with your baby. I've got to say, I didn't feel that mm. straight away. Mm. I, I held him in my arms and it, I'd had a, an emergency cesarean. I was really pleased he was there, but I didn't love him, love him, love him. I didn't really want to, I wanted to name him in the morning because quite frankly, I was exhausted. <laughs> is that quite common? Is, is there anything that, you know, I'm sure there will be mothers listening to this saying, I sort of haven't admitted it to anyone, but I'm finding this bonding thing quite hard. It's really common. I think we all find our own path towards how we bond with our children. It takes time. You're getting to know this new being, aren't you? Um, and there's a lot of pressure. Huge pressure that you're supposed to feel this or feel that. All positive feelings, of course. You know, not much space, to be honest, about the negative feelings or even that you find it all quite annoying or boring. It's quite hard to say that, isn't it? Um, in our society everyone will feel it everyone feels it yes they won't put it on instagram Mm. but they'll feel it (laughs) yeah that's right and i think the that aspect about bonding is that it's 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 ordinary for people to find their own pace what i'd also say of course being a psychiatrist that if it's something you're really finding hard don't think that by going to ask for help that means that people will think you're a bad mother you know that's not they're not connected it doesn't mean that someone will say you're doing a terrible job being courageous and saying, I'm really finding this difficult and I don't know why. It might make you very anxious or it might make you feel terrible that you are not enjoying this baby or you might not even like him or her. That's really hard to tell anyone. But therapeutic work can help shift that. There might be reasons, it might be about your own experience of growing up that has got in the way or it might be that you had a traumatic birth and that can get in the way. I have mums telling me, you know, I really hate him because he put me through that birth. Now, that's quite something to admit, isn't it? Mm. But fantastic to put it out there because then you can begin to deal with it and know that other people feel that too. And that in most most cases, I, I mean, you know, those experiences, those emotions that you just talked about mm. um, are relatively rare, aren't they? Um, what's probably more common is that sort of 
indifference and I'm just not that into him yeah and, absolutely and that's the kind of thing that's often resolved with just time and patience yes, and absolutely. and not feeling the pressure to suddenly say this is the biggest thing in my life and you know wanting to sort of eulogize about your baby mm. um that often I mean certainly for me it was you know when things had calmed down a bit and I was alone or I think it was just my husband there and I just suddenly looked at him and thought you're pretty cool actually <laughs> and and often it's 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 at a time when you least expect it uh-huh. whereas yes, if you're constantly absolutely. saying have I felt it? Am yes. I feeling that rush of love? Yes. Am I an awful person? All of these things yes. then raise your anxiety levels, which aren't necessarily conducive right. to the hormones that will encourage you to feel that bond. And also, of course, it comes in the middle of all the other feelings and transitions. You know, your body might feel all over the place. Um, you're managing not being at work. You're thinking, right, so now I've got the baby. What next? What am I supposed to do now? Who am I? <laughs> What's my identity? Totally, exactly, redefines you. All this build up, and then here's this baby. You know, it's 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 a big transition, isn't it? And for most people, that does you know that does settle down, like you say, with yes. just time and patience. And for others, the important thing to remember is that there is lots of help out there. There's mm. lots of support groups, and it doesn't always mean that someone's going to say, "Well, you need to be on medication, and your baby's going to be taken away from you." You know, that definitely not. Doesn't mm. that, that is not the response mm. you're going to get? No. But it's so important that if it's if you feel that there's something seriously wrong, that you address it. Yeah. To speak to a GP like you or to speak to a health visitor or have a look online. But then there's some fantastic therapeutic treatments that we that we use now to bring some joy and delight back into the experience. Which are mostly talking. Mostly talking. Absolutely. And building relationships. The other question I'm asked a lot about is, you know, uh, the relationship between care caregivers and the child and what kind of care as the child gets older and the parent might go back to work is the best for a child is it nursery is it a nanny is it a nanny share mm. or child mind when it comes to school the, the relationship Absolutely. with the teachers at mm. school mm. is there is there something that is the best mm. first thing to say is something about be confident in your instinct about what feels good and whether you connect with this person yourself do you feel that this person or this setting is going to provide a good um, place for your child to flourish where they can form good relationships what 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 children need is they need to form good attachments and relationships with their parents their grandparents if they have them the people close to them but they also then need to build relationships with caregivers and of course some babies are in 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 um child care at a young age and so finding someone who they can form a really good relationship is is a gift to give your child is an important so so there's that aspect the next thing i would say would be the type now actually penelope leach has done a lot of work on this and there's a there's for people who want to look into it she's written a book about different sorts of child care for parents and best is family care that's not surprising, is it? You know, and then moving so does towards... does that mean mother and father? Or does that and then, mean... gra- then come grandparents, then might become more one-to-one, you know. Aunts. Uh, aunt. <laughs> um, uh, depending on the age a bit, though, you see. Mm. But for, for children up to the age of two or three, we start worrying that they need social experience. They don't need social experience. They need responsive adult um, care from a sensitive adult. Mm. So having one-to-one care is is the best in the first year or two or three actually it's not as early as some people think and then you know nursery play group around you know three three soon enough actually can be earlier so of course a lot of us do do it earlier um but that's fine yeah and and you know even nursery from a young age although as you say the research suggests that it might not be 
as good as a one-to-one caregiver. The nurseries nowadays do have, uh, do, do try and emulate that, don't they? They try and keep this, the consistency of the, of, of, of the caregiver. Absolutely. And some nurseries are fantastic because they have, that they, they absolutely get it and they have a key worker who really is the person who is with that child all day. And it's worth finding out mm. what does a day look like in this nursery? Will, will your child form an attachment with this particular person and as a baby that really matters that they've got someone who is going to really be there for them and that they can turn to when you when we look at um you know when you take babies young children well you know young children into a nursery setting the first thing that they look for if you look at their eyes is the adults you know who who, where's my person who I'm going to connect with Mm. um but what children pick up is the parents experience of those caregivers it's that relationship between parents and caregivers that has a big effect on the outcome for the child. Children pick up, yeah. you know, whether or not mum so or dad is happy. that's a separate relationship, isn't it? You've got yes. the child and the parent, the child and the caregiver, yes. but the relationship between the caregiver and the parent, yeah. you're saying, is very important. Really important. And I suppose that's even more important when that caregiver is in your home. Yes. That, that it, even though someone, presumably, who's being employed by, by you to look after your child, that you show that person respect and mm. and uh, they are an equal mm. to you in your yes. child's eyes yes and that's yes. so important to show that you trust them yeah and being careful it's presumably about criticizing them when your child is around even if you think your child's not listening I mean I think this is a big problem that we have conversations as adults mm. and we don't realize mm. that there are little ears interpreting our conversations potentially not as they are intended Mm. Mm. I mean I had I I see I hear this quite a lot but I had a patient a few weeks ago who couldn't cope with the idea that she'd had to go back to work she had financially it wasn't an option not to so she'd gone back to work full-time when the baby was I think nine months old Um, but the, the the baby had formed a fantastic relationship with the nanny that they had that they had um, brought in to look after the child. But she felt very jealous mm. of the relationship yes. the child had mm. with the nanny. Yes. Uh, and that's something that is quite common. And how, I mean, the worst thing she can do is change, change the nanny and keep, you know, keep getting jealous of each person and, and have this child having yes. a constant... Uh, guilt well, yeah well no but and the ch- child having different caregivers constantly I'm so glad you brought that up because in a way I think parents will say to me but what will that do to my relationship with my child and actually the answer is it will only help you know in that what what, what you need what your child needs is to form relationships they need to form good, loving, trusting relationships. So it's fantastic if they form one with a nanny. If you feel jealous, talk about it with someone because that's an ordinary feeling. And it's, it's you know, it, in a way, find ways of living with the jealousy. You know, that, that, that's, that's not a reason to change it. Mm. And especially if you know that it's good for your child. Mm. And if you trust that person, then, then find a way well, of living with it. It's work a perfect what, situation, it, isn't yeah. it? If your child is... Yeah. is loves that person so much yeah that's wonderful it's really healthy for them actually in their relationship development and maybe there's something to find out for you if it's really a problem as to to, to work where that comes from and that might be about your own therapeutic work well I'm sure also this idea of having one person that they love the most no children think like that they love loads of people in different ways this is sort of a relatively Mm. uh, children having a best friend or a favorite parent you know they they just they don't think about it like that it's you know they can't just have one really really wonderful relationship they can have many and actually the more they have the better it is for them the more enriched their life is there's also situations of course when we might be struggling as a mother or father and 
it's good for people around us to notice and give that child an experience of another relationship. Mm. So fathers, grandparents can really help the child you know, to, to, to develop good attachments because that's the foundations for later life. It's not just about enriching life experience, but we've gone down a bit of a funny route, I agree, where it's all about nuclear family and relationship with mother, relationship with father. What children need, we, know, we now know, in terms of developing the brain and the neural pathways is experience of what different people are like because it makes us, it opens our um, mind, it opens up our pathways of going, oh right, they behave like this and they deal it with like that, that's interesting. Um, and it sets up our resilience and our way of adapting to what life is like and life is always throwing things at us, isn't it? And as a parent, what we perhaps most of all need to give our children is, is not a happy life, just because we can't predict that, but ways of managing experiences, ways of talking, finding support, moving on. And historically, presumably, the fact that, you know, we're social beings, that humans always lived in a bit of a pack, as it were, in a sort of herd, in a group, you know, this sort of idea of a nuclear family living within four walls of their own house is mm. a relatively modern phenomenon. Yes. Actually, when you go back sort of millennia um well maybe not millennia but <laughs> mm. back back and back you know there was a much more it was a much wider community that the family was a much wider community than it is sort of almost now yes and i think i think certainly you know f for us here in britain that we're not doing a great job at the moment are we in terms of building that social group some countries are doing better than us and they are healthier so you look at the the happiness ratings norway had it last year, Finland this year, Scandinavia does very well. Why are they doing well? You know, I went, I went there actually on a fellowship this year and last year, looked at Norway. How, how are they supporting their parents, I was looking at? Why is it that parents seem to be uh, feeling in a better place in how they manage meeting the emotional needs of their children? And a lot of it, I think, is about the social support, both that the state provides um, around maternity leave, paternity leave, uh, sick leave, um, uh, knowing where your local health centre is, the number of checks and developmental input, the health visitors, you know, it is a system that gives families a real safety net, support network, an ordinariness about parenting, which means you're together. It's not perfect, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to think that, you know, any country gets it completely right, but, but there's something about let's learn from what they're doing and say building social support in whatever creative way we can for our own family um, is healthy for us and will give us more more fun along the way. Mm. Something that um, I, I really notice that new mothers don't do is look after themselves enough. It becomes an obsession with looking after the baby and the baby grows anew and beautiful and, you know, they, they physically they care for the baby. But then when it comes to their own care... They don't. They don't invest in themselves. They sometimes don't take the time to do some exercise or and they don't treat themselves. They kind of forget that being a parent is a job, but it's really hard because you never get any time off. You never mm. even get a night off. You never leave work. And and then they wonder why it's kind of really difficult and why, you know, mental health issues sometimes do become a bit more of an issue. Yes. Do you think parents spend enough time looking after themselves or do you think we almost need permission to I think you're right more? I think often being kind to ourselves and taking a bit of space in whatever way is possible 
is something accepting help yeah or asking or even asking for it Mm. really matters and sometimes we have never been good at it and maybe it's not our family culture or maybe we weren't given it ourselves as children but here's a really amazing opportunity to learn a new skill um, and do it because well here I was telling you to do it telling that's not, I don't want to use that word I suppose I just want to use I want to invite you I want to invite you to say it's all right you can look after yourself and it'll be good for your baby as well and and you, you can know. have a treat sometimes too yeah. don't feel yeah. guilty about going oh you know what yeah. I'd love a jumper <laughs> or a really indulgent coffee or whatever mm. it is just something for you, a treat for you a reward for you because actually you know when you go to work people praise you and people say well you did a brilliant job and mm. and and they give you time off and they give you your bonus and they give you a paycheck <laughs> at the end of it none of this comes mm. with parenting and that I know it makes me sound really um selfish and and uh but but actually I think that that's hard to deal with mm. the fact that women need treats and actually even if you sort of with a friend and you think I tell you what I'll take your baby for an hour and then maybe tomorrow yes. you take my baby for Absolutely. an hour and it could just be an hour to, to read a paper in peace mm. or go for a walk on your own mm. or go for a run or something like that but just Mm. some time on your own doesn't mean you don't love your baby it just Mm. means you're investing in yourself I think sometimes it can feel as if that means we're not doing enough and the problem with parenting is you never feel you're doing enough (laughs) Um, and in fact your, your baby will get something out of it one of the things that we I think don't give enough attention to is that, you know, our state of mind really matters for our baby. So having a bit of time for ourselves means that when we come back to our baby, even if it's only half an hour later, we might have a little bit more patience or a little bit more ability to sit and be attentive to what they're doing right then or go, wow, look what look what you're doing. Wow. Should we look at that together? Yeah. I mean, the idea, the, the title of this podcast is The First Thousand and One Days. Mm. And it's the idea, which you should probably explain, that these days are the most fundamental? Well, it's from conception to the age of two. And that these thousand and one days are a time of extraordinary development in a fetus, and then the baby that's born, and then becoming a toddler. The, the brain is developing at an extraordinary rate. You know, a baby has a million neuronal collection, connections happening every second. I mean, extraordinary. It's hard to get our, our heads around that, isn't it? Um, so they're learning. They are open for learning. They're interested in learning. They want to connect with us. And their learning is particularly happening in relation to us and people around them. So the, the point of that title is to say um, babies are so malleable and adapting and taking things on at that time so that by the time they're age three uh you know even a year on from two a lot of the brain developments happened now that's not to say that we don't carry on learning and changing and developing it's not it's not that deterministic but a huge amount is going on at the beginning in terms of how we set our expectations of what life like looks like so so putting in an investment emotionally into our babies at that time of life makes sense I think sometimes parents say well I think I'll take some time off when they're older and we can do something together we can chat and do stuff I'm working really hard now but I'll do that now and then I'll take time off later actually it's 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 worth just thinking that through whether you you might be able to be a bit more available now 
It is, it is really interesting. It just makes sense that you need to invest in yourself as a person, that the mother needs to be supported, that the, 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 the partners, the father needs to be supported. Well, in order to provide that support for the baby oh, in the first huge, thousand and one days. Yeah, you know, they need a huge amount of support to provide that, um, which is why really thinking about the circles of support around you really matter. That's what can support you your partner your friends your family your society your social group your workplace and and we all hear stories and we have experiences of our own and when we're not supported and we we're, we're pure pressure how to how to find ways of of making things a bit softer mm. and kinder and i think you know so often people that are really focused on being a really good mother they focus on the things the boxes they can tick but if they're not enjoying it and if they're not reacting to their baby they're sort of denying their baby the one really, really, really important thing they need while feeling that they're succeeded with the yes. things that matter less. Yes, and actually delight really matters to babies and children. To be delighted in, to be enjoyed, is, is something that grows babies' brains. And we don't talk in that way normally, do we? But being, you know, joy and delight in your baby... Uh, is something to, to, to really value and put energy into. That, that really helps a baby. It's brilliant. It's so great chatting to you, Catherine. I have really, really enjoyed this. Um, Catherine is, uh, works uh, in London in Harley Street at the Priory uh, Wellbeing Centre. Um, so if you want to find a bit more about the work that she's doing, have a look at thepriorygroup.com. Uh, you just need to search the website for PPF and, and you'll get lots of information. Um, for those of you not based in London, though, Catherine's involved in this amazing um, idea Tell us about Circles, Catherine. Yeah, so this is an app that is really about peer support. So it's using social media in a positive way to make connections. Basically what we've been talking about today. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's about making social connections and getting ideas and techniques and tips about how how you might strengthen the relationships but around you. But it's particular social, social connections with people who are potentially struggling with the same things that you're struggling yeah, with. Yeah, you might be at the right? same stage in life and be able to connect over a particular issue that you can talk about. And it sets permission to be honest, to say, actually, this is what it's like. And then you find out you're not alone. And I think that's one of the strongest things for people that they feel, actually, this has been really helpful to know there are other people around who have similar experiences. And there are circles for mums, but also for lots of other um, groups of people who would benefit from that peer support. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I certainly have a, have a number of patients who've who've really found it helpful. Mm. Um, and the website is uh, findcircles.io. So have a look at that. If yes. You're, if you're and as Marina said, the clinical work, it's the, it's the Parenthood Pregnancy and Family Life Service at, at um, the Wellbeing Centre in Harley Street. Um, and the the whole issue of of how we get support both therapeutically and socially is is what circles and and the work clinically is Catherine, thank you so much for being here today. It's been so great chatting to you. Mm -hmm. I've really, really enjoyed it. I hope you listeners have as well and have taken something from it, even if it's just a bit of encouragement that you don't, if you don't feel you're doing it all right the whole time, that's, that's not such a bad thing. Please do make sure that you're subscribed to us at The Parenthood. It means that every new episode just comes directly up into your phone. You're alerted when we have a new episode. And do also let us know what you'd like to talk about next. We have so many brilliant 
brilliant ideas from our listeners. Um, a lot of the podcasts we've recorded so far have come from you guys. And the best way to do this is via Instagram. We're at theparent.hood. You can also follow us and hear what we are doing. But in the meantime, from the three of us, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.